Welcome to Fandom Power. Hey everybody, it's uh, Wes here back with another episode of Fandom Power here with uh, Fandom Power Presents The Fan Batch. Once again, joined by uh, super producer extraordinaire, Andrew Daw. Yo. Mr. Wonderful himself, Hank McLaughlin. <laughs> Thanks, man. Don't pin that on me. A lot of pressure. Dude, in the world we live in, I will praise, you know, I will praise anybody if it makes them feel better. I love you, man. Because I know I know how hard it's been on everybody these last few months. So take it where you can get it, my friend. Uh, here in Halifax, it almost I'm it, it kind of scares me yeah. how quickly people have interpreted the lockdown situation is over to, to equate with it, the state of emergency is over, everything's fine, just do what the hell you want because the streets are packed. Well, the same thing happened people. here. And it's going to uh, happen in two more weeks. Oh, that's right. We had our, uh, the Ontario, uh, we have two things in effect. We have the the lockdown, per se, the uh, the reopening of the economy, which is separate from the mandatory stay-at-home order. Now, the, yes. the mandatory stay-at-home order has been lifted, which means that now you as a resident of Ontario are free to enjoy all of the outdoor services and and things that are available to you in your home region Mm -hmm. people are interpreting the mandatory stay at home uh thing now that it's been lifted means i can go wherever i want (laughs) and ultimately ultimately you can because really at the end of the day uh, i will do me and you will do you and you know we will try to make sure that we make the best decisions for ourselves and hopefully that will have the reciprocal effect that that kind of protects everybody but right. it doesn't always work. Yeah. No, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little bit, uh, feels like a forced wakening from a hibernation or something, you know? Like, uh, couldn't agree with you more on that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Not a violent purge, but they need to let people blow off steam and it's almost. What's the meme? Uh, the, the purge should be real one day a year or something. Mm-hmm. I thought I saw a meme <laughs> on that. Yeah. She tried to purge me, Morty. Yeah. yeah I do. All right. I think I do. Okay. <laughs> So can I just can I just preface today's episode with another one of those wink wink nudge nudge hey we did it again kind of things a couple episodes uh, ago when we were on the streets of uh, of uh, oh my lord what the hell was the planet that we were on I had talked about the speeder bikes and then all of the speeder bikes in the city were military bark speeder bikes with the exception of the one that Hunter had stolen that's right. And I had made a suggestion, like, are we seeing the decommissioning of the Grand Army of the Republic's war machine? Or are we just seeing a simple reuse of animation? How ironic that we get to this week. (laughs) This week's episode is entitled Decommissioned. Perfect. Only this time we get to see the decommissioning of some of the uh, Confederacy droids, which is kind of a cool thing. As I said, this one is called Decommissioned. It debuted Friday, June 4th. In the year 2021, the runtime on this one, it's uh, 24 minutes with the credits or roughly uh, 20 minutes without this episode. Very fast paced. Incredibly fast. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it was actually, it was refreshing as much as I love looking for all the minutiae as we had talked pre-show 
uh, yesterday and even a little bit this morning that there was maybe a little less Easter egginess in this episode than previous episodes. Yeah, the drops were big, but they weren't like there were story beats and they were big, but the action was so fast paced that you just had to take them in stride and let them go like, whoop, that one went that way. I yeah. understand where we are now. Yeah, yeah. Because everything was moving forward at such a pace. Like I caught them all, but they they were insignificant uh, next to the power of the storyline. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, we've been kind of hit and miss on the uh, on the Arabesh in this episode, or not this episode, but uh, with this series where we were very diligent. On yeah. the Mandalorian, I know Andy's got some this week. I do. When I was sitting here yesterday doing my notes, do you guys remember in the episode when uh, Omega's actually kind of doing her thing with the macro binoculars? Yes. Yeah. Did you see how much language was scrolling across that screen? Lauren was like, "We need to translate." Well, that. We just part of me it. was like, I kind of la- I chuckled to myself and I'm like, "How ambitious am I this week?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'm I looked at the clock and I went, "Oh." Not that ambitious. <laughs> that's the that's our timeline is very short. But there's know. nothing that prevents us from doing an article on that. That's true. We can go back and revisit that. Hell yeah, we got a week. This week's episode it's written by Amanda Rose Munoz, and uh, according to her IMDb, this is her sole writing credit. But she has worked in the animation department on uh, Rebels. She was a co-coordinator also for Rebels, and I think she had some other a uh, couple Clone Wars connections yeah. as well. So and, she's uh, Kung Fu Panda three. So in the Disney and more uh, more DreamWorks. recently the uh, the Star Wars family. That's right. This one's directed by Nathaniel Villanova again. This week's synopsis: On a mission to acquire a valuable asset, the batch encounters smugglers after the same target. I like that this week's episode uh, the connective. We talk about the connective tissue, right, to all other things Star Wars, and uh, right off the hop, I, I'm I'm kind of liking that we get a. We kind of get a in the in the forward. We get a connection as far forward as like solo a Star Wars story, and then going mm-hmm. backwards, uh, we get some connective tissue into the now defunct Star Wars thirteen thirteen. Awesome. So, going to talk a little bit about Corellia today because that's uh, central to the episode, and uh, again talking about that whole decommissioning thing. And I know we joked about it, but hey, it's really happening. What a contrast to what we go on to see later on with regards to uh, Corellia's importance in actually constructing the Imperial War Machine. That's right, yeah. All right, let's dive into it. Picking up where we left off in our last episode, the Bad Batch still hanging out at Sid's place on Ord Mantel. Take some time to think about their next steps. In the bar, Omega practices with her new laser bow, as Descriptive Audio Man tells me it's called a laser bow, so I'm going to go with that while Echo coaches her. Funny that the two characters that were uh, fist-fighting, the two gamblers from the last episode, they're kind of still hanging around, and they're now taking wagers on whether Omega's going <laughs> to hit the target or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, turns out one of them was a weak way. I didn't catch that last week, so... Nice. Weak way. Kind of funny, you know, making more work for Sid, having to fix those poor things. Yeah, so there she is, practicing with her laser bow. Actually, she's not practicing in that. That's later on, but... You get the idea. So at this point, Sid interrupts the target practice with uh, an offer of a job. She kicks the Thorian and the Weakway gamblers out of the bar before she activates a hollow table. And the image on the table is uh, of one tactical droid. Rick. Yeah. Sid says that the intel that a tactical droid contains, it has tremendous value. So 
let's take a couple minutes here and just talk about uh, tactical droids and sort of their role. I know we, we mentioned them briefly before in our last review series, but just a refresher for people who are just, if you're just coming to Star Wars now, congratulations for you. Also, mm-hmm. you need to go back and watch all these other shows so you can get the bigger picture, but... Um, it's a huge picture. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, tactical droids, as we know, the Confederacy, they employed a, a droid army as opposed to the Republic, who employed a clone army. And the tactical droids essentially served as the strategists and the, the droid generals, per se. Absolutely. We find out in this episode that there's a little bit more to them that the the tactical droids' capacity to learn Maybe a little bit more than your average uh, line droid. So more on par with a T eight hundred, which is a learning computer. The CPU is a neural net processor, a learning computer. Yeah. <laughs> nice reference, by the way. Perfect. Right. So tactical droid. Sid then brings up a hollow image of a decommissioning uh, facility on Corellia, and she explains that that's where they're going to have to go uh, to get the droid before everything's destroyed. Hunter reluctantly tells Sid that they're not sure if they're going to work for her, but Sid exuding some of her underworld charm, tells them that they're in. As long as she's making money, she'll continue to watch their back, and it's the best option they have. Allow me to decide for you. You're in. That's a great line, too. <clears throat> so, Let me help you out with that. You're yeah. <laughs> I mean, so good. we talked about her uh, last week, and, and we kind of raved about like the duality of this character, how like she is sort of the best option that they have. You know, as long as she's making money, she's content. And and I'd said, you know, is this the kind of friend? Is this a frenemy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the way that she well, yeah. asserts herself over the batch, just it really leans into that. Like, I do. I've got you guys by the short and curlies and you'll do what I want. Otherwise, there will be consequences. But at the same time, she's really providing that uh you know the military leadership role like here's what you're gonna do now go do it no it's true there's a theme of like people taking advantage of like other little small splinter groups uh you know until they're they've used up their usefulness so you see the like they they hire like outside bounty hunters and if they don't you know they don't do their tasks for the emperor you know the empire they uh fade into the, (laughs) the distance they don't get used multiple times kind of thing. So there, there is a, there's a sort of like a precedent for using people for your own good until they run out of your usefulness. And yeah. it's, it's a minor yeah. version of that. It's like a crime boss kind of version of that. Big time. I mean, that, we'd sort of already talked about, you know, and I had speculated that, you know, at this point in her life, she's maybe moved on. She's not actively in the hunting community anymore, but she's taken that next step and she's sort of in the grief carga space where she's kind of yeah, yeah, minor yeah. minor boss. But in the same right. vein, it's still carrying on that, you know, people are property. Thing. That's right. It does. Which is kind of interesting because this uh, this episode and there's another point, another thing that we touched on. And, and I hit it right on the nose last week when I said, interesting that they don't they no longer have a government to tell them what's right and wrong. And if they are not faced with that exact conundrum this week and hunter even makes a remark later on in the episode about how things were easier when they were just soldiers yes so on that note i feel really good about you know the level of depth that we're hitting with these uh with these stories i want to take another minute and i just want to go back to sid for a second did anybody get the impression i got the impression that uh she might actually be performance captured the lip movements just seem too natural and too real to be straight up just animated. 
it's it's really beautiful stuff lauren was pointing out that uh that this series and she especially noticed with this episode the the subtle eye movements like they're big so time yeah crazy realistic and subtle that i mean maybe <laughs> perhaps they're 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 bringing their a game there always has been with the yeah you know, all through clone wars there was like a I say a quantum leap in the quality of animation from season one to two, yeah, and two to three. It and seemed even from like the hiatus, you know, and then Rebels evolved, you know, it, it's so painterly and stuff. And this is almost a combination of the two styles. I remember and, and um, advancing that even forward. I remember Killian Plunkett doing an interview on one of the DVD special features talking about just that very thing. And he, he talked about how between seasons, something had changed in the department, whether it was the technology that they were using, whether it was better computers or texture mapping or whatever they were doing. But suddenly he's like, if you didn't notice it before, he's like, now the characters, their hair waves in the wind. And that was something that didn't exist back in season one. So all these little things that you don't even notice it as you're watching it. It's only when you go back and you contrast it against what's new today and you kind of go like, oh, wow, there is a stark difference. Yeah, heavy. Yeah, I just got the impression that she might be performance captured just like based her lip movements are just way too fluid and natural to be. And then, of course, I'm trying to picture Rhea Perlman with all the dots on her face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to Corellia this week. Let's talk about Corellia for a second. Corellia is like a uh, major, major uh, planet in Star Wars lore. Heavy. Certainly known for their massive shipyards, which does, you know, play a role in the... uh, the Imperial War Machine, which we're going to get to a little bit later. But Carillions in general, I guess, I was sitting here thinking about this last night, and, I, and I'd and i say, you know, I dare say that Carillions are the Spaniards of the uh, of the Star Wars universe, as they were kind of, uh, imp- you know, they were instrumental sort of in the expansion of the galaxy in terms of, like, an explorer race. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, not to mention the home world of everyone's favorite scoundrel. That's right. Han Solo. Who I thought we were going to see this week. And I, you know what, maybe not him, but I thought, you know, where are we in the timeline? We're just at uh, 19 BBY. Han Solo's roughly 30 years old by the time of A New Hope. There was a good chance that we could have seen teenage Han or Kira in this episode. And Andy, had suge- uh, you'd suggested that maybe in a background shot somewhere, but maybe just a couple of kids playing. In the I don't remember seeing any other kids in the episode. No, no, but no, that would that would have been good. Um, trying to like, what what year are we now? We're like, I was thinking, I was we're writing nine, some things down. Some nineteen notes. BBY, 19 BB, <laughs> right? We're ostensibly about a month after Order sixty six, give or take. I, I think so. That's side of that. Right? I think so. so. Yeah, Han's quite young right now. Yeah, and just to close out the thing on Corellia, as we saw back in. Uh, solo a star wars story we we know that uh from that opening that opening shot in solo that uh the sanath shipyards were kind of well you can see the bridge of that starter store getting moved up getting put into oh, place yeah. so last week it was uh, uh the reference was uh, kuat <laughs> as a shipbuilding facility this week it's uh it's Corellia. lean and heavy that empire is expanding i know and they're moving they're moving a lot faster than I actually thought, and and maybe faster than what Legends had suggested between that transition, but I like it. No, it's it's true, and it it's really nice to see these places that were always just spoken of. And sure, we got it in Solo. We got a little dip of it in Solo, but it's yep. nice to return to these places that are familiar from from just from spoken word or even the literature, but to return to them again and again in a visual form is nice. 
and cohesive and it feels like going home in the weirdest way oh it absolutely to each of these does spots, yeah. you know when you return to tatooine or when you return to like it feels you know what i mean there's the all there's the a familiarity the, that's right a comfortable familiarity maybe exactly exactly and it's so it's so it's nice to see places that we know yep. but have never really seen but now yep. we get to you know experience and it seems like every time we go back to a place there's always a new element you know Tatooine in 1977 was was the the Lars homestead and moisture evaporators and and Mos Eisley and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. By the time we go back to Tatooine in the prequel trilogy, we now see Tuscan civilization, you know, out in the desert. We see another city. We see the the Bunta Eve classic, and then in the Mandalor uh, in the Mandalorian, we got uh, crate dragons, and wasn't that exciting? And further outposts. Yes, and more more mm-hmm. outposts. Yeah, so, and the whole a bigger sort of like with the mining guild, you get this bigger yeah, big of time individual worlds work. Like that's so cool. So we're going to Corellia, and uh, <laughs> we get an exterior shot of space, and the Havoc Marauder is magnetically sealed against the hull of a bulk freighter. I don't know where we've seen that before. You have your moments. Not many of them. Something like that, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very reminiscent Sorry. of the uh, Millennium Falcon strapped to the back end of a Star Destroyer as they were trying to avoid detection. That old trick. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Tech even makes a point to, uh, you know, point out how it gets them past the planetary detection systems every time. <laughs> so it's good to know that uh, it's not, a, it's a common trick. That would be Solo's faint or something. Yeah, really. <laughs> On board the ship, Omega asks about the importance of a tactical droid and Echo explains to her that they learn and they evolve from each military engagement. And the more that the tactical droids learned, the more they won. So, yeah, I mean, these guys are uh, certainly a lot more important. Goes back to the Clone Wars and those that final arc where the tactical droid was sort of kept off the front line because he was a prime target. Yeah. Makes a little bit more sense now. Yeah, well, totally. And it is cool nice. looking design, too. It's nice to see the progression, too, from, like, uh, episode one, where, you know, they're just running all over the place, don't know what they're doing. Right. But it explains why they went on for so long. It's like, as they fought, they evolved. Better strategies. That's right. And we did. We, particularly with uh, with Echo's arc, we did see that that point where, like, the, the clones were getting their butts handed to them. So no surprise that uh, they they did evolve over time. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about the importance of why. I mean, Sid tells them that, you know, this stuff's important. But, I mean, we've already alluded to it. Just the fact that they are a learning, it's a learning brain, specifically militarily. When you connect the dots, uh, and they do get connected for us later on in the episode, information on how to uh, fight a clone army now that they are, you know, the uh, the backbone of the new Imperial military yeah, as far as the public is concerned, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the right person would pay a lot of money for that information. I mean, it just and of course we have a list of <laughs> we have a list of those that we're gonna get to a little bit later on. Yeah. Detaching from the bulk freighter, the Havoc Marauder makes for Planetfall. It's nighttime when they arrive and the ship lands on a platform in Coronet City. And of course we've seen Coronet City before. We saw it back in Solo. It's a coastal city, which makes absolute sense when you talk about 
the smelting of raw ore and the, the fabrication of, of metals. You, you need a lot of water to do that. So it's also classic shipping, you know, Harbor towns. Yeah, towns. exactly. Like Halifax in 200 years. Yeah, totally. The clones disembark and they stealthily make their way to the decommissioning facility. And we can see that police droids are uh, patrolling the streets. Police droids. That, that was an interesting subject this week because, uh, uh, Andy and I both kind of struggled there for a minute on, uh, you know, what model of droid they were, and I think we've come up with a, uh, I think we've come up with an explanation for them. I looked at a lot of different droid types. I did I too, and I, I came to the closest yeah. thing I found was Bumblebee. They're a BX series droid. They're absolutely a BX series droid body, uh, and if you're not familiar with the BX series droids, these were the. Uh, commando droids during the clone wars the ones that were like super nimble that were like were doing backflips and stuff the ones that the mm-hmm. jedi had a hard time with but interestingly right. they've like, got they've like got the magna guard similar not the magna guard? similar to the magna guard but not quite like a um it's essentially a reinforced b1 body that's way more agile and even the these are the ones that they had the cone-shaped head because I don't know if you remember that episode of Clone Wars. They put one in a clone armor in uh, disguise, hmm. which was part of the reason for the uh, angular head. Interestingly enough, though, the head on these things is more reminiscent of uh, EV-99, right down to the, uh, the droid language that the two are speaking when we see them cross over the screen. But even that's not like 100% accurate to what these police droids are. Interestingly enough that uh, I landed on BX droids, this guy might actually be an evolution of those. He's a KX droid. Oh. And we can see some of the lineage in there uh, in the limbs, right? Particularly around the feet and the, the spindly legs and the spindly arms. I had a look at the droids from the Mandalorian the Magistrate had. Yeah, which I actually and... think... Uh, oh, her, her droids are, are more... Are they not reminiscent of the HK droid? They are. So yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I think they're just pulling from a lot of things. Like they, they, these things have the rounded shoulders and the, they do, yeah. The, sort of the, the rounded helmet, almost helmeted style heads. Of yeah. The, of the other, you know, so I think they may be pulling from a lot of elements. And certainly, like, the, I wasn't even kidding. The, the color uh, palette is just straight. Uh, right, helmet-y. right. <laughs> from, yeah. So, specifically, uh, just to close out the section on BX droids. They were advanced commando droids used by the Confederacy during the Clone War. Uh, these droids were designed for infiltration and action behind enemy lines, but were also used for dun, 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 security, bodyguarding, and uh, enforcer duties for certain high-ranking separatists. So moving on to the facility, the clones enter from a doorway high above the city streets. But in order to reach the door, they must climb a very tall ladder. We get some. We get a really interesting character development piece here. We we learn that of all wrecker of all people is afraid of heights. Yeah, uh, it's it's throwback to the very first episode where they had to cross that long bridge and he didn't yeah. want to. Yeah, yeah. Or that might have even been from their original run. Was it in the original the, the four part arc? It might have been in the four part arc. They had to cross a chasm and he just wasn't having it. Wasn't going to do it. Okay. Be, yeah, had to be. Well, I guess I just forgotten that then. Remember. <laughs> Uh, I saw like an e- A team meme this week that was Bad Batch, but A team. Oh yeah, records is BA. Fly, so <laughs> I'm waiting until they like you know get to something really high where they just have to knock Wrecker out and he wakes up at the top. You want to be careful when you're hitting that guy in the head, especially after what we saw this <laughs> week. Oh 
no. Yeah. All right. Inside the facility, we see a scene very reminiscent of the droid foundries of Geonosis during Attack of the Clones. Droid parts can be seen moving along a conveyor belt before they're dumped into a smelter. Overhead. It's almost the inverted scene. Uh, it, know, it is, yeah. They're, it's, they're, they're making the droids at this facility here. Yeah. And then they're decommissioning the droids in a very, you know, conveyor belts, different levels. Yeah. Claws, you know, well, this is it. Like, a, like an arcade game. Yeah. It's, it could be the same facility just repurposed. It, I think clearly so. Clearly it isn't, but absolutely a brilliant stroke on behalf of the, uh, the writers and the animators to, to, the, know, the color palette was the same. Everything about it. Yeah. It was just so instantly familiar. Um, and, it, because we're you know in that middle stanza of the of the story the big story right it makes sense that we're drawing from the middle stanza of the prequels since we're really close to the yeah yeah exactly and and this is the second episode we've done that because in the last episode we had the sort of the noise and the color palette from the the city street chase yeah uh, yeah yeah attack of the clones very cool it is funny to think though that uh because of the planet they're on the droids are getting melted down and repurposed, so the steel coming out of them is going into the ships. Well, that's exactly... So, I yeah, thought that, no, too. The Empire 100%. ships are being built from the it's not, army. Yeah, it's not lost on me that the losing side of the previous war is now being... You know, the raw material is being used to... Uh, repurposed, as you say, to uh, to build the new one, which ultimately is going to lose. <laughs> and I've been rewatching Rebels uh, a lot because I, I really want to do something with Rebels in this and um, uh, rewatching it a lot. And I've, uh, there's as late as sort of season three of Rebels, one of their missions is to steal a Y Wing that is at oh, a that's right. Yeah, facility. that's right. Yeah. So they're still decommissioning Clone Wars era stuff, you know, three years before the destruction. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Still decommissioning that stuff. And there is a, an episode two with a tactical droid, where the tactical droid refuses to admit that there was that ever the war a is over. War. Yeah. And so him and a small group, they and they team up with the Jedi to fight. That's and right. Yeah. That's, that's a cool episode too because they have to outthink the out unthinkable smart technical battle droid. Yeah, cool. exactly. Overhead, we can see uh, the dismembered remains of uh, several B one and B two battle droids. And they're suspended by these giant crane claws. It's like the claw game when you go into the mall and, you know, like you're, you're trying to pick that plushie out of the machine. It looks just like that. You see some humanoid workers, and I, and I say humanoids because they are, they are clad from head to toe in like heavy coveralls and uh, foot, full headgear, which makes sense. I mean, if you, you ever look up, uh, and I looked up yesterday looking at, at pictures of like foundry workers and you see the, the, the guys and girls in the, uh, the aluminum looking suits, the fireproof suits totally makes sense that they'd be dressed that way. Yeah. So these workers, they move about the facility, making sure that things are uh, running smoothly. Safety first. <laughs> I was thinking they kind of look like the mining guild from the Mandalorian episode. Oh, um, I never, uh, I never pieced that together to be honest with you. Trying to find images. But yeah, sure. Fun thing to point out though. Yep. Railings. They're there this episode. I said that to Lauren. Look, Dear Lord, you are right. <laughs> Raylan yeah, saved lives. Saved Han life. He'd still be alive today. Oh, my Lord. They also provide cover. True. Not a lot, but some. Enough. <laughs> so, from the catwalk, uh, Hunter surveys the room and comes up with a plan. He decides that, uh, along with Echo and Tech, they'll locate and retrieve the droid, while Wrecker provides Overwatch, and Omega is to stay here, keep her eyes peeled, and look for the target 
that is the tactical droid. From there, the squad moves quickly to get across the facility, quietly stunning guards as they go. Omega takes cover on the catwalk, and she follows their movements through her macro binoculars. There's one other beat there, though. What's because that? Because Wrecker says... Oh, he makes makes a mention yeah, of... I gotta uh, be up here? That was Crosshair's job. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, the height thing. That's true. And then more to the... Uh, the Well, he, he's not here. Yeah. So deal with it. Absolutely. At a terminal at the opposite end of the facility... Echo uses his uh, scomp link to pinpoint the location of the tactical droid. The situation becomes a little more tense when they learn that there is just a single tactical droid in the system and everything else has already been destroyed. That's kind of nuts. I mean, yeah, maybe this isn't the only facility, but that's kind of nuts because we know that there was billions of droids. It can't possibly be. I mean, uh, I, I can't think of the name. What's the name of the world that Cal Kestis is working on? The ship breaking world, the breaking yards. Uh, yeah. Oh, but bad anyway. expert. Yeah. Bad expert. <laughs> uh, My God. Why do you call yourself yeah. an expert? At the same time, though, these things would be like priority one to get rid of. I guess so, especially if you're trying to reclaim those raw materials. But yeah, we know that there are multiple facilities across the galaxy that must be doing this sort of at the same time. That's right. So Omega, yeah. who's been following the conversation via her comlink, spots the droid on a nearby conveyor belt, but things are not quite as they expected because the droid is already partially dismembered, its head lying a few feet from its body. Mm-hmm. And just as Omega reports the condition of the droid, a humanoid worker snatches the droid head from the conveyor belt and dashes off. Omega frantically tells the clones that someone is stealing the target unaware that another worker has already found her. And just as she turns to chase after the droid head, she's held up by one of the workers blocking her path. The worker tells Omega, I don't think so. And as she lifts her helmet visor, she reveals that it's none other than Rafa Martez. Startled, Omega draws her bow, holding Rafa at bay. Meanwhile, the worker who absconded with the droid head calls Rafa on her comlink, urgently reminding her that they need to get out of here. And it's the familiar voice of Rafa's younger sister, Trace. So let's just so cool. Couldn't be happier about this. Actually, Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of that that run of no, neither neither was I. But I felt it was like in retrospect, it was super necessary so Ahsoka could learn the viewpoint of the average citizen. That's right. Of, right. So I thought it was, and then uh, now uh, they're just actually just, they're big pointing stick for me right now. So they could have done anything they wanted to. They could have been as cool as they wanted to. They could have sucked as much as they yep. wanted to in this episode. They're a huge pointing stick for me to the character of Ahsoka Tano. And she, I, I, she's my favorite character outside of the films. And now that she's been in the Mandalorian, she's top three in you know, in a live action visual, absolutely for sure. Love that character and want to see so much more of her. So this is, yeah, big neon sign that. Well, now we've for me. we've got a we've got a thread, and I mean it's a it, it's a pretty thick thread too, as we're going to learn by the <laughs> end of the episode. But I agree with you, Hank. This this arc of the season seven of the Clone Wars by far was the least the least enjoyable for a bunch right. of reasons for me. One, I just, I did not like the dynamic of the two sisters, how one was, you know, ostensibly 
just mean and and ornery where the other one was like the complete opposite and i get it that it's sort of the dichotomy between them and that they have this tragic story about you know their parents getting killed when the uh, during a chase you know in coruscant when uh, the jedi are chasing a criminal and the the criminal crashes into the laundry where the parents are working and the parents are able to save them but like my god like I get it that Rafa's the older sister and probably had to take on some of the mothering duties, but like mm-hmm. she's up yeah, there. She's up there with those characters that it just are easy to dislike. Mm-hmm. So for anybody who doesn't so know, she just... had a few moments actually in this episode yep. that made me like endear to her. Like the, the, the casual way she, there's one scene where she kills a droid with two shots, one to the chest, right, one right. to the head, just like Han Solo, which she just turns around and goes, bam, bam. And it's like, you know, that, that was a level of cool she sort of didn't exist. That's true. I couldn't help, you know, I'm watching this episode and I, I couldn't help but think while we were watching it that after everything that those two went through with the crime syndicates and with Ahsoka, that Rafa's, her overt outward characterization was still the same person we saw in that original arc. Like she hadn't evolved at all. And only at the very end did I get this impression like, oh, Maybe she has changed. Yeah. Well, and that's maybe it's her her protective shell, right? She's had to take yep. care of this her sister forever. So that maybe that is that uh, that phony, crusty outside, you know, to protect the gooey middle. And sometimes the gooeyest middles, Wes, have yep. the crustiest outside. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So we've got uh, Trace with the uh, boofy kind of frontage there, and and Rafa. If you didn't pick Interesting it up, note. The yep. original scripts, because the, this was planned before the cancellation of Clone Wars. That's right. And the Disney purchase was made. This was originally a single male character and was going to be like a quasi love interest for Ahsoka. Oh, really? She was leaving the uh, the order. Yeah. We didn't cover these episodes in our uh, in our Order sixty six series. So uh, if you're just coming to these these characters for the first time, uh, Rafa, you may recognize her voice, and that's the voice of uh, Elizabeth Rodriguez. If you're not familiar with her, she played uh, prominently in Orange is the New Black for, what, mm-hmm. seven seven seasons, I think? Yeah, it's true. And uh, Trace is uh, voiced by this young lady, and that's uh, Brigitte Cali Canales. And if you're not familiar with her, she appeared in Fear the Walking Dead. All right. So as Trace runs through the facility, she inadvertently comes face-to-face with Echo, Tech, and Hunter, who now hold her at gunpoint. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, back on the catwalk, Omega strains to hold her drawn bow, which is an interesting bit because back at Sid's place, she's trying to, uh, you know, do this target practice thing. And and I think she's actually shooting one of the credit pushers, (laughs) which I thought was kind of funny. Spray painted a target on it. And, uh, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube and there, there's a guy that I watch who's like big into archery and I'm seeing all the same things in her that I've seen in these archery videos where she she gets the bow out to like a full draw and it's all she can do to hold on to it, <laughs> which is kind of funny for something that's supposed to be energy. Maybe there's yeah. a, maybe there's a magnetic thing, a magnetic Maybe. component there. Got to throw that energy bolt. Yeah. And I mean, there's that whole like you just got to learn to to block out distractions, which really has nothing to do with actually developing your arm strength and the the chest muscles required to draw a bow. I think, though, with the, you know, the recoil and the the tension, it's the same thing like, you know, the 
perceived weight of a lightsaber or yeah it's it is yeah it totally those is. things would be the same if they were you know if you were just shooting like that it no you're be right as fun as if there was a an actual you know some dynamics to yeah. it so it's probably that Star Trek is, you know, they, they, they just fire all day with a that's true with a TV remote. Press up, yeah, press a button and just hold it down. <laughs> so you know, no, while deadly, not as exciting. Well, but it may... Sid does call it. She's like, you need to develop. That's them right. Noodle, noodle arms. arms. Yeah, those weak noodle arms. <laughs> By the way, does that not suggest that go back to what I said, where I think she clearly she was a hunter at some point. Yep, she still got something there. Oh yeah. Oh, she that's just, real. Uh, she just bullseye three times. You know, yep. That's how it's done. There you go. Lessons Lesson over. over. Lesson over. Yeah. <laughs> Only because I don't have noodle arms. That's right. I just got little old lizard arms, mm-hmm. which are still stronger than little child noodle arms. That's right. So they're kind of standing there face to face, and uh, you know Omega's doing her best to to hold her at bay with the bow, and you can see the quiver in the hands, and Rafa takes that as an opportunity, and she tries to rend the bow from her hands. They have a bit of a struggle. And uh, Omega ends up dropping the bow, but not before she looses a laser bolt that strikes a pipe. And the facility, you know, begins to fill with uh, a billowing steam or a smoke or maybe even some noxious gas. I'm not quite clear on what the substance was, mm. but uh, it's definitely enough to get the attention of the workers who like the, that one worker. He's like, we've got blaster fire. And they yeah, I thought it was going to be a big deal, like some critical thing. But Me too. I thought it was everybody gonna... started using blasters, so it wasn't that big a deal. But <laughs> yeah. I thought at first, well, maybe for you know, if you and I were sitting around at a factory job and someone opened fire with a blaster, it would be a big deal too. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and I don't think my first my first impression would not be to like shut everything down. It'd be I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm done yeah. for the day. I'm going Close home. The door. Yeah, that's right. See you guys later. That's right. Yeah, with yeah, that one guy's first instinct, lock it down. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. At any rate, the actual civilian workers in the facility, they panic, and when one of them spots the the clones, the entire facility is put on high alert, and police droids are summoned. Now, both Rafa and Trace, now, because they're in two different places now, you've got Rafa up on the catwalk with Hunter, and you've got Trace, who is now face-to-face with Echo and Tech at the computer console. They both have this little uh, banter session back and forth, and neither one of them makes any sort of attempt to hide their indignation for the other. But it's so fast paced and it's happening, you know, at the same time that it's these quick, yes. quick cuts. Right. On the catwalk above the smelter, several police droids have now entered through the same door that the clones have just come through. But Wrecker from his overwatch position is able to snipe three of them. And Rafa takes that as an opportunity to make her escape back at the computer terminal hunter. Echo and Tech engage more police droids while Trace takes cover at the bottom of the circular staircase that she's just run down. Hunter calls to Omega, asking for a report, and when she tells him that there's a second person after the droid head, and not to worry because she's in pursuit, he tells her, don't worry about it because we already have the head. But Trace, tightly clinging the droid head, exclaims, no you don't, (laughs) and immediately runs back up the staircase that she just came down. That's right. (laughs) All the while, the uh, police droids advance, laying down a hail of blaster fire. Hunter then orders Echo to get the lockdown lifted, and then he runs up the staircase, uh, chasing after Trace. It's kind of hard to describe some of these action beats because of how, like, how fast we we flip from quick. like side to side. Very quick. The two sisters, now coordinating via their comlinks, finally find each other, and for a moment, 
It becomes a bit of a game of hot potato as the droid head is tossed between them. But just as Rafa catches the head mid-stride, she runs face-first into a police droid and promptly drops it. Mm-hmm. It then becomes this free-for-all uh, where both Omega and Trace exclaim at the same time, I've got it, and they both run off. They're kind of playing rugby against New Zealanders. They probably don't want to do that. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> right? It's the All Blacks versus, oh no, versus you guys. <laughs> Someone's going to do the haka, and it's yeah. going to be over. So. <laughs> Then Boba Fett's going to show up. All right. So that leaves Rafa to face off with the droid that she just ran headlong into. Uh, but a well-placed blaster shot from Hunter coming from behind her saves her bacon. Uh, but Rafa's quick to return the favor as more droids close in on the two of them, and she promptly like blasts one right back. Now, racing to reach the head on the moving conveyor belt, Omega is the first one to reach it and triumphantly reports that she has it. But at the same time, back at the computer terminal, Tech is rapidly dispatching the advancing police droids while Echo still attempts to unlock the doors. Unfortunately, the only way to do that is to short out the entire system, which he does. Realizing that puts a major wrench in their escape plan, Tech beckons to Wrecker to get to the main control panel. Now, the platform with the main control panel is just a short distance away from Wrecker's position, but there's a large gap between the two, and that serves as another reminder just how afraid Wrecker is of heights. To make matters worse, uh, underneath that space is the open smelter full of molten metal. Uh, and yeah. the only way for him to get across the gap is by one of these crane claws that he's going to have to do the, you know, swing across the, the chasm thing. But he does. He kind of puts his fears aside and he has that like, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down. And he does. He makes it across. But his landing on the other side is less than graceful and he smashes his head hard against the computer console. Clutching his head in pain, he throws the lever on the, uh, to the conveyor belt below. Now, with things moving again, the conveyor belt lurches forward, and Omega tumbles through the debris, dropping the tactical droid head, and that is promptly picked up by Trace, who continues to flee. She gets pinned. Omega tries to reach up and stop her, but as you say, her leg is pinned and she can't move. Tech and Echo now call out for Wrecker, urging him to rendezvous with them, Wrecker, grasping at his head in an incredible amount of pain, stumbles to the deck, mumbling to himself, Good soldiers. And the words trail off as a well-placed shot to the shoulder by one of the police droids causes Wrecker to collapse. It's the third time I can recall him getting shot in the shoulder in the series so far. We're in the sixth, sixth episode. He hits his head more than that, but he does have a recurring theme of getting shot in the shoulder. This is the third time now. Well... So that's the thing. I mean, we we joked about uh, Din Djarin being a blaster magnet. It looks like Wrecker is the that version of, yeah. of, of that. <laughs> He's that fulfilling that role. He's he the tank. Totally He's is. absolutely the video game tank. No, he really is. So just before he falls unconscious, the words, he repeats them once again. Good soldiers. And then he falls unconscious. So I want to, let's, let's just stop and talk about that for a second because we've, we've been, you know, I mean, it's no, it's no secret. I think everybody who's watching the show has this indication of like, oh, he's, he's a powder keg, you know, waiting to go off. And we talked about sort of each successive blow to the head makes things just a little bit worse. And on this episode, I think we've sort of reached a critical mass. Like, I don't think he's got another one in him. You know no. what I mean? The, the next one will be the tipping point. 
and in light of what happens at the end of the episode, and I don't want to spoil our own show here. No, nope, no. Nope. At the light of what happens at the end of the episode, him accepting the Order sixty six, yeah, uh, programming becomes paramount because there's there's nobody here that's actually in danger from that. Isn't there though? Like I, because technically the this, other three have disobeyed and then would fall under that. right and. And that touches on what I had mentioned back in our first episode about why weren't they summarily executed? Because the order included any clones who did not carry out the order. Well, it could, it could, it could be that. It could be that. I, I think that it might rear its head with our, our special guest star to make, you know, for it yep. to be. Yeah. Right. So I, we talked about it. I mean, again, you just said it now, Hank, about uh, Wrecker being the tank. And we, we talked about how physically strong he is. I want to put that up against, you know, his physical strength with the simplicity of, of mind that he has, right? That, that childlike innocence. And I want to just sort of pose a question because I'm not entirely sure that I fully understand what's going on here. And I don't even know if the show is going to explain it, but I'd like to just sort of, let's, let's talk about this. Is the, that first blow, do we think that the inhibitor chip was activated on the very first blow and he's been actively fighting, like resisting it? But he's so strong and so like, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but he's so simple minded that it just didn't affect him because we know that, you know, tech had talked about their genetic, their genetic defects may have made them slightly, you know, more immune to that effect. The impression I got was that it, they all got it, the yeah. message, yeah. but that they all had some sort of level of struggle with it, but that it wasn't very hard. And the only one that found it hard was Crosshair. Right. And eventually through successive struggles, he lost control of it. Now, I think that they're actually fighting it every second of every day. Yeah. That it has very zero to little effect on. Them. Right. They, right. You know, like they have a natural immunity to it. Like, I think it's less that their chip is damaged and more that their genetic defect allows them to just ignore over, it, override that programming. Yeah. And I think that the physical blows to Wrecker are making that struggle more and more difficult. And that's what you're seeing. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That's my, that's how I felt about it when I first saw, uh, you know, like there could have been a way to deactivate it without removing it. And, you know, so like it's, it's, it's things like that where it's, once it's physically removed, it's no longer a problem, but as long as it's in there, even if it's not working, it's a problem. Right. Right. So that's kind of the, where I stand on it. That's how I felt. And that, that makes sense to me. And I, and that was, you know, sort of one you know, one interpretation of it, and it's probably the strongest one. I was just curious, though. You know, is there, you know, is there another possibility there? Like, like you say, no, they, they are fighting it every day, and and he's just again as the as the tank is the the strongest one. Maybe it was just, you know, up until he started, you know, getting his bell rung. <laughs> Super good story writing, making you weak where you're strongest. Yeah, it's just it's just good storytelling. Couldn't agree with you more on that pain is like an electrical impulse sent to your brain right yeah and if they oh, yes, enhance sir. crosshair <laughs> that's by, you true know, yeah shocking him technically every time he hurts his brain he's sending another shock so he's self so true so true mm-hmm. and back up on the catwalk rafa and hunter continue to fight off police droids who are now advancing on them from both sides hunter asks her why she's after the droid and she tells him it's none of his business but he retorts by saying, well, it is today. <laughs> Just then, Trace radios Rafa to tell her she has the target and to meet her at the north exit. Rafa retorts that uh, she's a little busy right now. 
With the droid head firmly in hand, Trace is free and clear to make her escape. And as she boards an elevator, she looks back to see that Omega is struggling to free herself from the debris of the conveyor belt. The same conveyor belt that leads directly into the active smelter. And here's one of the quantum leaps in this animation. The, the look in her eyes. When oh, she's my going, gosh. Yeah. What do I do? Do I what do I do actually here? My sister. But oh, what do I do? And it's all in the eyes. And that's it is it's beautifully done. But I mean, if anybody this is the thing, like this is that contrast of personality that I was talking about before between Trace and, and Rafa, where like Trace was already that that predisposed to be more compassionate, more trusting, more like she put all that effort into building that ship and their sister basically lost it out from under them. And and even after all that, she was still forgiving. Like, of course, she's the one you're going to bank on, right? Right. Absolutely. This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. With fear in her voice, Omega desperately calls Hunter for help. Knowing that he can't possibly shoot down all the droids, he draws out a grappling hook and a length of synth cable. Attaching the grappling hook to a support pillar, he leaps from the catwalk and attaches the other end of the cable to the moving conveyor belt below. There's some banter between him and Rafa about what he's doing, and he's he tells her, I'm, I'm going to pull out one of the support pillars. <laughs> Follow me, and she doesn't. <laughs> right. And in that sense, Rafa is caught off guard by the plan and defiantly asks, who put you in charge? But mm-hmm. by that time, the plan is already in motion, and the cable snaps the support pillar. As the cable uh, snaps the support pillar, Rafa is able to leap clear before it tumbles, smashing all of the police droids that they were just fighting. Omega calls to Hunter as the conveyor belt pushes her closer to the smelter. He nimbly darts around the debris-littered belt, all the while dodging blaster fire in a desperate attempt to reach her. And rightly so, he ignores Rafa, who's now yelling at him that he nearly got her killed, but a few well-placed blaster bolts shut her up, and she runs off as well. That's the thing. They, that, these are the things that they... And I, and I know they... Did, I feel like the writers, the writer did this intentionally to try and, and and I'm hook line and sinker I'm all about you know I don't like Rafa <laughs> at this mm-hmm. point I don't like her like you're argumentative you're you're not a nice person and even in in this like life threatening situation you're like who put you in charge well right. you know what you can follow me or not but if you don't you're on your own <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Command is generally thrust upon people. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, that's true. No one's like, hey, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Except Omega. Yeah. What's well, her name? Very few people Omega. Like, that's, yeah, yeah. Omega. You saw, so I just, I Omega. sent that, I sent that Omega. meme, yeah, I sent that meme around earlier this week. I don't know if you guys who are listening and or watching uh, right now have seen it, but it's like the Bad Batch according to Omega. And they sp- they spell all the names phonetically as like she's saying them. So it's like Hanta. <laughs> and like Rika, Rika. Iko, and Tick. <laughs> so good. But the conveyor belt lurches on, and Omega is finally freed as she tumbles into the smelter, landing atop a pile of dismembered droid parts. 
It appears that the temporary shutdown of the, uh, of the smelter has allowed it to cool enough so that the topmost layer had yet to melt. From the opposite side of the smelter, Trace arrives, holding out her hand and yelling to Omega, Hey! Over here! Hurry! But Omega can't reach her. Trace tells her to grab something, and holding up a droid leg, the two girls hold on for dear life. She Ome- struggles with that droid leg. She does, yeah. I mean... Uh, Just to go back to the noodle arms. The noodly, can't be the noodly arms. Noodle arms. Omega is unable to pull herself up, and Trace is unable to lift her and the droid leg at the same time. A group of police droids begin to swarm in, but Hunter arrives just in time and quickly dispatches them before pulling Omega out of the smelter. He thanks Trace, just as Rafa drops down from above. The group argues for a moment about possession of the tactical droid head before they come to the conclusion that they need to work together in order to escape the decommissioning facility. Meanwhile, Tech and Echo, still fighting their own contingent of police droids, try to raise Wrecker on the comlink which apparently has some effect as Wrecker starts to come around. And as he starts to come to, we hear the voice of Crosshair repeating the words, Good soldiers follow orders. But it appears that he's struggling with that as he repeats himself saying, No, no, no. And he says it like five or six times. That's right. At the same time. Shia LaBeouf style. Yeah, very much. No, 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 (laughs) no. No, 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 It's like in his first five movies. Yeah, really. At the same time, the rest of the clones, along with the Martez sisters, have regrouped back at the computer terminal. Echo tells them things are about to get worse as an even larger force of police droids is rapidly approaching. As the clones continue to hold off the advancing droids, Trace comes up with a plan. Her plan is to use the tactical droid to activate the B-1 and B-2 battle droids in the facility and use them to fight the police droids, creating a distraction so that everyone can get away. And the best line in the episode. Is there an echo in here? Yes. (laughs) Is there an echo in here? Is there an echo in here? Yes, there is. What? So good. (laughs) I did. I really liked that line. I I laughed hard out loud at that one, actually. Using a tool from her tool belt, Trace activates the tactical droid, but it doesn't have enough power to transmit the signal. So Tech attaches a signal-boosting device of some sort to the head and jams in a data rod and tries to uh, tries again to get the tactical droid to transmit a signal. But the process is slow going, and the police droids are getting closer. So it was this scene, there's something I noticed, and it was weird. It was this scene because yep. we were focusing on Tech quite a bit. Yep. And to me, his armor looked cleaner than I had ever seen it, especially his helmet. Yeah. And then I, I, when I was rewatching the episode, I was like, hey, all of their armor is a little bit whiter than it's been. And I don't know if that's because we're oh, moving I never more noticed. towards like good guys. Uh, and, and segments of their armor are a lot cleaner. I don't know if it's because off camera they're scrubbing that shit down. Sure, sure. They've had more downtime. Or I don't know if it's a lighting element because they were talking about some advanced lighting elements that they were bringing into the show. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. That may be. So, but I, it's just a thing I noticed, and I don't know if it's my old eyes or, or <laughs> what have you, but ch- watch it again and check it out, because I think that they're getting cleaner, and I think it might be a move towards them becoming better. Maybe. Maybe. Well, they're hanging out at SIDS. not like they got to run from well, planet to planet. No, they have access true. to running water now. No, there could, it could be a story beat, too. Yeah. But it just might be significant of a slight change in personality as we, you know. You know, you, uh, when you paint something, like a, a tool or something, like you, you take care of your, your tools and you, you oil them and maybe you, you paint them once a year. And 
after repeated use, they kind of, they get dingy and grubby. And is this maybe paint fade just from, you know, general wear and tear? I don't know. Certainly, certainly. It's just a note and maybe I'm crazy, but check it out. Let me know what you think. You know, based, just going to touch on tech for a second. You know what I see every time I look at tech's head? I see a VF series Veritech fighter head. (laughs) It's two big round things, especially when you see the skull and crossbones. He just needs needs the uh, four cans. The skull and crossbone on the side of the uh, on the side of the head too. Yeah, yeah, it's true. All right. In desperation, Omega tries to raise Wrecker by radio, pleading, "We need your help." Wrecker pulls himself back to his feet, and like someone who's just woken up from a very long sleep, he shakes off the cobwebs, and he responds, "I'm on my way." Rafa, meanwhile, criticizes Trace for her plan as the police droids close in. When the lead droid is flattened by another droid falling from above, the remainder of the droids give pause to look up, and they see Wrecker, who is now leaping down on them, his blaster emitting a gout of blue blaster bolts. Quite the uh, heroic. It's almost the Iron Man, the hero drop. That was really nice. Yeah, yeah. I very much like no that. No way to better get down from a height than to jump. Just like jump. It. So let's just talk about that for a second. All that, and that's a significant drop from a dude who's afraid of heights. I guess I think that maybe just in his head, that's the fastest way down. From it totally height. was, yeah. <laughs> the but thrill of the it's setting his own fear aside because of the need of the moment. That's true. In the moment, absolutely. Because like even he able jumped. to override that when it's you know I just got to cross this chasm to do this task, but now that it's you know, but let's you know he. he He's My squad needs me. Let's break it down a little bit more for a second here, because now he's been called by radio. He's been called twice. The first time it was uh, Echo and Tech, and they were like, Wrecker, Wrecker, come in, Wrecker. And he kind of, uh, right? As soon as Omega calls, yes. as soon as yes. Little Sister calls, we need you. Okay, I'm there. Like that right. that Big Brother vibe coming through strong once again. Yeah, that connection's going to save him. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and you might find Omega doesn't have a chip and therefore is the emotional and physical link to them maintaining their sanity. Yeah. So that's yeah. a nice way for her to bring him out of that by saying, like, just his name. You know, Wrecker's sudden arrival is enough to focus the uh, police droid's attention on him, and that's all it takes for Tech to complete his work on the tactical droid. Pulling the data rod from the droid's head, its eyes light up, and Trace commands it to activate all the battle droids and order them to attack the police. The battle droids quickly overwhelm the security forces inside the facility, and the clones, along with the Martez sisters, are able to escape. As they flee the decommissioning facility, Trace calls out to a very specific astromech droid by saying, R7, we're ready for a pickup. There's another little beat there, too, when the droids are waking up yep. with uh, a couple of the stab battle droids. Oh, I know, the, uh, Roger, the B1s. Rogers. What's going on? Did we win? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, order's an order. Rounding a corner, the group encounters yet another contingent of security droids, and the firefight continues. This time, a stray blaster bolt strikes the tactical droid head, knocking it from Trace's hands. And as it hits the floor, it's blasted several more times, utterly destroying it. Conveniently, though, Omega has managed to find her previously dropped laser bow, blood armor. It fell right at the door. (laughs) 
And presumably from the adrenaline rush she must surely be feeling at this point in the heat of battle, she fires off several bolts, taking down a few droids in the process. Mm -hmm. No trouble getting that full draw now. Well, she's been lifting droid legs. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) It's like record. Instant results. But this is where I said before, like, that whole, you got to learn to to block out the distractions. And I'm like, that has nothing to do. So when she kind of, like, triumphantly says, you know, you got to block out the distractions. I'm like, that's cute, but no. (laughs) As the firefight continues in the hallway, we can see that the hallway leads to the outside where a starship has just swooped in. And it now rests hovering on the far side of the opening. The battle droids have now spilled out into the hallway, and they easily overwhelm the police, allowing everyone to safely board the awaiting ship. There's a moment when a battle droid turns to fire at tech. And, and stops. Doesn't. Yeah. And then turns back around and starts shooting. Yeah, just the briefest moment when he's like, okay. Yeah, and, and <laughs> like he, he nearly overrided his programming. There. And he even says, he's like, I never, you know, I something about never thought there'd be a day when the battle droids would be fighting for them. That's right. Which I thought was kind of neat. The ship pulls away from the urban sprawl, and we can see that it's the Silver Angel. And, of course, the Silver Angel is the uh, the ship that uh, Trace had spent so much time and effort making that her sister Rafa nearly lost to a crime syndicate. <laughs> that's right. But that's okay. And the the, uh, the Silver Angel at this point is piloted by none other than uh, R7A7. We're going to get to him a little more in depth in a second, but let's just go on and talk about the the silver angel and sort of its role in the uh, the clone wars kind of the interior has a sort of falcon-esque at least the cockpit does yes with the uh, the quad seating and that that sort of angular doorway do you remember sort of the deal with the with the ship hank back in the clone wars when they were building it it was uh, just different parts repurposed different things i i don't remember super i i got to admit i watched that storyline a couple times but my i was so invested in the end game of season seven yeah that I, I did glance over it quite a bit okay so fi- suffice enough to say that it is the like i said before the ship that that trace had built and and it was sort of Certainly. their you know it was their their means to an honest living so that they could uh you know get out of the bowels of 1313 which they it did was always traces dream to be a pilot that's right very anakin and luke-like yeah, and and I don't, not even in the not even in the smuggler sense. Like, I'm did she not want to go like legit? She just wanted to fly. She yeah, to totally. Fly in the stars. Yeah, she would like very Anakin and Luke. Like, like that's what young people aspire to be. I want to be the first one to see them all. You know. Yeah, yeah. So then we have this guy, and uh, it's really important that we spend some time on on R seven A seven because, like I said before, if you're just coming to uh, Star Wars now. It's a very exciting time for you, but again, you really need to go back and uh, and sort of rewatch some of the stuff, or you can go back and you can uh, listen to our uh, Order sixty six review series because we talk extensively about this guy. So R seven A seven, just a quick refresher, was Ahsoka Tano's personal astromech droid throughout the Clone Wars. And the last time we saw him was in the uh, last episode of the Clone Wars in uh, Victory and Death. We saw him die. We did. We saw him die. But at the end of that episode, we also saw something interesting, and we now can confirm that it, in fact, was R7A7 packed away underneath the wing of the, or the engine of the Y-Wing, as uh, Rex and Ahsoka had finished burying uh, the clone bodies, so. I remember screen capping that and sending it to you guys, going, is that what I think it is? Yeah. 
So safe, fairly safe, uh, certain to say that uh, R7A7 has been reconstructed. And that just, you know, that, that creates more questions than answers. The other giant neon sign I pointing know. directly at Ahsoka Tano where she, she was over. All right. As the group takes a moment to relax and breathe, Trace remarks that all their work was for nothing, while Omega posits that Sid's buyer won't be happy. And at that remark, Rafa gets quite animated and, and starts to criticize Hunter. And she chastises him by saying, you knew how dangerous the information on the tactical droid is, but you didn't know who you were giving it to? Hunter firmly replies that they were paid to acquire and deliver the droid, not ask questions. <laughs> and yeah. uh, a dejected Trace laments that their contact needed that information to fight back against the Empire. That their contact is trying to help people and make things better. So even though it's a very mercenary answer, yeah, I know it's then put to the moral question. All those things that we we talked about earlier about the the moral ethical journey that they're going to have to walk and wow, like this scene really like draws it, dro- it so one. drives it home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. At that, <clears throat> Rafa jibes. Why aren't you fighting for the Empire? Isn't that what you clones do now? Hunter Hunter tells her, uh, not all of us, some of us are different. But Rafa dismisses him, saying, yeah, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. A short time later, the sisters drop the clones off back at the Havoc Marauder. As they say their goodbyes, Hunter takes a moment to offer Rafa the data rod that Tech had used to recover the intelligence from the droid. She asks him why, and he tells her that, well, you'll use it for the right reasons. Rafa remarks that maybe you are different. And Hunter replies, well, to be honest... Things were a lot clearer when we were just soldiers. All right. And we again, I'm just talking about that that point where, like, when you have a government telling you what to do, it's easy to to delineate, you know, right from wrong and, and good from evil. And I just like that the lines are grayed here. And they're grayed for everybody. And, and this, it's not just Wrecker that has an innocence. It's all of them in the sense that, you know, making their way in the galaxy on their own without that safety net really mm-hmm. does put them at odds with with everybody, including themselves at times. Yeah, and then the last line, she gives the last line, Rafa, is some t- you know, um, oh, I forget what she said. I, I had it in my head there. Oh, everybody takes, uh, chooses sides. That's they, right. Right, so clearly they've picked the side of the rebellion. Yep. Uh, and they, you know, they're with A7 on the on the bridge of their ship, there's, yep. a, there's, a, there's a deep connection to the rebellion. It totally there. is. Well, the scene closes with both ships, the Havoc Marauder and the Silver Angel uh, departing Corellia on different vectors, mind you. And inside the cockpit of the Silver Angel, Rafa instructs R7 to open a channel and to put him through. And with that, the droid's domed head turns and activates its hollow projector. As the sisters look back at the image, we can see a partial image of a cloaked figure. Rafa tells the unseen person that they have acquired the tactical droid Data, and they were helped by a group of rogue clones. And she knows where to find them, punctuating the conversation with, thought you might want to know. Fade to black, and so ends oh decommissioned. Okay. <laughs> Man, I got a whole lot of what the hell is going on. So I guess the biggest question is, uh, at the end of that, who is she talking to? And... We had a pretty deep conversation kind of yesterday as I was writing my notes and, and sort of going around the uh, around the room, as it were, about who can this possibly be? 
So uh, I'd like to start with what I think are the obvious ones. And uh, I'm going to go with uh, this one. Ahsoka Tano. Why? Let's talk about why it could be Ahsoka Tano. So first of all, I mean, the obvious connection is R7A7 is, is her personal droid. And if he was rebuilt, uh, it makes sense for her to maybe have given uh, given the droid to them, especially given Ahsoka's connection to the Martez sisters from her four-episode arc on 1313. Well, if it's not Ahsoka, then the next logical answer has got to be this guy. Rex, I mean, the two of them were together uh, at the time. We saw them leave together. It's still early enough post Clone War, like we we had that um, that episode with Tup, who said that you know Rex was just here the day before. So Rex is out there. He's still kind of tooling around the galaxy. He has not settled down yet with Wolf and Gregor, where they're fishing, land fishing. <laughs> and if everybody's on this for the same trajectory to find freedom from the Empire or to fight yep. the Empire, yep. Rex is certainly a few steps ahead of the Bad Batch because possibly now we've seen him just just behind them a few times now twice at least yeah and i mean rex had the rex has the advantage of having the the truth on his side about knowing what has just happened knowing the whole plan i mean tech kind of deduced it there on parade on camino but i mean rex lived it <laughs> you know what i mean uh i'll tell you why i don't think it's a ahsoka and yep. uh i'm not too hung up on the pronoun but i i think that that's a big clue because well she could be disguising her voice as fulcrum like we discussed yeah as you'll have to go back in time and check up fulcrum she knows these two people intimately so there's no there there is no reason for her to interact with them through fulcrum or the the guise of fulcrum or disguise her voice or anything else so i don't think based on the pronoun and based on the actual holographic shoulder i don't think that's ahsoka now i could be wrong it lends itself more to rex 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 probably rebuilt that droid um i agree with that he probably did i think rex and uh the the rex and ahsoka connection is is deep enough that they're probably still together we're only like we said maybe two weeks yeah a month and a half away from the events for whatever reason my gut my gut said Obi-Wan, and I, I really don't know why, but the, the robes look like brown Jedi robes to me. I agree I with you wholeheartedly. And I started looking at it so heavily because I, there's no tendril at the back. There seems to be a light hood on the shoulder. I don't yep. know if you guys yep. have the image I sent you, which isn't a very uh, high-quality image. I don't know if I you want to put it you, on the Did you put it in here? Show. No, we didn't in. get it put in. Sorry. Uh, no, that's okay. Um, but then I started doing a... I mean, it, you know, there's some chatter on the web that it could be Bail Organa, and that was sort of my joke guess. Yeah. I joke guessed Bail Organa. Some of the chatter on the internet lately uh, has been Saw Gerrera. There, uh, I heard Maul thrown out there. There, I mean, it could literally be anybody. Um, I agree with you. I want to just, I want to kind of go through each one sort of individually and talk about the, the, the why it could be and the why it can't be. Or the why it may be or the why it may not be. And it just certainly just to touch back on the Ahsoka thing and, and you'd mm-hmm. mentioned that, you know, she has no reason to conceal herself as Fulcrum. And I'm just gonna throw out there 
Well, she does have a reason to conceal her voice because she has no idea that the Bad Batch weren't affected by Order 66. She doesn't know that they're not Jedi-killing clones. Right. So there is a good reason for her to maybe want to be, you know, uh, concealing her voice. And certainly working through an intermediary as Fulcrum makes that process a lot safer for her. Yeah. Um, And let's remember, Fulcrum Fulcrum is not just Ahsoka Tano. Fulcrum... Ahsoka Tano may have been the first Fulcrum, but Fulcrum is a mantle that's been worn by lots of people. Callus goes on to be I, Fulcrum. I thought that Saw Gerrera was the first Fulcrum because oh, that he was you know what I think you're Anakin right. Anakin Skywalker's contact. Yeah, that's sorry, Wars. that's correct. You are correct. And that that was Skywalker's code word for his informants. You're right. That's totally right. My bad. I I'd, I'd forgotten. No, 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 no. But so I I still think that. Just her individual relationship with these two over shortwave communication, you know, through a hologram. Maybe that she's worried about the hologram being tapped. Yeah. I, I, I think while we really want it to be Ahsoka, I think it's going to be someone periphery to Ahsoka. Uh, Rex is a really good bet. Um, yep. Certainly he could just be wearing an overcoat or something. Bail Organa is a hugely strong bet. Well, let's, oh, yeah. Let's, okay. Sorry, I'm getting off topic. Let's stay on Ahsoka for a minute. Sure, sure. Reasons I guess it could be her beyond the fact that we all want her really bad. Beyond the fact that she's basically Dave Filoni's legacy character. That's right, yep. It's almost empirical that she'll appear in this episode, or I mean in this series, and we still have 10 left. I think it's early to dip into her, uh, but I think that it, it it's more likely a periphery character, more closely related to her, which is why my brain tells me yep. Rex. I kind of see, just because of the connection, I see them as being the same the same person like like I, i'd said it before maybe it's a bit of a throwaway line i think if we're going to get one we're going to get both of them even if it's just if one of them is is front and center and the other one is peripherally um i think it could be either of those two characters and pretty much for the same reason because they both lived order 66 from a completely different perspective than the bad batch and and both ahsoka and rex know what it's like to uh, go through that the the chip process those right. two people, more than anybody else, I think, have the biggest interest in rogue clones. Rogue clones is the that's the sort yeah of the, that's sort of the, the linchpin for that for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm satisfied with that. It could be it could be either of those. It could be neither of those. It could. I said to Andy uh, uh, last night. I said this could be the biggest red herring of the series. It could be a completely new character. We're not even halfway. It could be a new character. Yeah. Um, we were so right with Boba Fett, though, at the end of, of oh, that I know. episode. We were like, we honed in on the jangle and the music. I tried to focus in on the music, and the closest thing I got was uh, some of the beats from Clone Wars Season 7 yep. as the Order 66 was happening. So there right, were scenes right. that had Maul in it. There were scenes that had Ahsoka and Rex in it, uh, and that sort of weird music carried through both those scenes. Yeah, and yeah. The music... At the very end, there's a couple of notes that are reminiscent of that, but I couldn't find Obi-Wan's theme. I couldn't find anyone's specific theme in that. No. Uh, I did look hard for that, though, uh, because sometimes they yep. throw a couple of notes in there. and it's They do. Like, you know, Just enough to wet your whistle and make you go, oh, did I hear that? Because <laughs> you can enjoy it for surface, but there is, you could, you can, you could go so deep. And when they, you they know. embed the stuff there for you, right? And I mean, I've I've always been a big proponent of of uh, of music is is fifty percent of cinema. Without music, it has a completely different context and a completely different meaning. So I mean, 
when you start to dig down on the music of Star Wars and you start to understand the themes, the musical themes that are associated with the, these characters, they are big, they are big, big poker tells. Yes, huge. So I couldn't find anything con- no. conclusive. Maybe somebody out there in uh, real real live land can help us out, check it out maybe. All right, uh, let's let's move on to the... Let's yeah. move to another one. Let's talk about this guy. And I know this was kind of like the, <gasps> we we really might want it to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the, the idea that it may have been a brown, and I agree, brown robe. Looks like a brown robe to me. Jedi robe. Let's talk about the reasons why it could be Obi-Wan Kenobi. You want to um, go first on that one? He probably isn't even on Tatooine yet. If anything, he's en route. <laughs> so he's probably looking for allies along the way. We're really not sure about that, those timelines. Um, he could be en route. He could have just gotten there. Certainly, I have a feeling you're yeah. going to see Jimmy Smits in the TV show. I don't think that he is disconnected from Bail Organa. No. Uh, I don't think that he's necessarily disconnected from the Rebellion. Certainly, Bail Organa knows exactly where to find him when he dispatches uh, Leia. That's right, yeah. In, in, you know, that's right, yeah. Odd years or so, or 20 years. So I think that he's still, you know, connected. He's definitely invested. Yeah. I think that for the first few years of Luke's life, Obi-Wan's probably going to be hands off. Yeah. I don't think, um, and this is why uh, apparently that the timeline of the TV show is going to be Luke about 10 years old. Right. So that, you know, a young kid getting in trouble could be more compelling for, a, you know, Uncle Ben to save him. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Action. Um, yeah. So... I think that he still has an implicit, you know, uh, invested thing in this rebellion. I think that he's yep. also another person that would be definitely interested in clones that I agree were I, malfunctioning or or rebellious. Um, I'd, I'd said this before the the relationship that Anakin and Rex had throughout the Clone Wars it reminded me of the relationship that Obi Obi Wan had with um, Cody in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we never did get to see that played out you know, any more than that. It was just like, Oh, they're, they're, they're on a, on a personal level the the, the way that they're, they work together, but it was never really, it was never really explored. And I, and I kind of wonder if maybe that is, you know, sort of a, the, the plot thread there for why Obi-Wan might be the person in the image. Um, it, it's very possible. One, um, one other reason, this is the reason I go to, and this is completely, this is just to service uh, the greater Star Wars uh, machine is that, you know, Ahsoka Tano got a live action introduction through the Mandalorian and then immediately got a, her show uh, announced. Yes. Is would an appearance by Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Bad Batch just be the, the precursor, the setup for his live action television series? I don't think they'd throw it away, but I, think I don't think so either. Definite, that definitely we love the connective tissue. And yep. so I think that seeing him here in something that works and something that, that literally, you know, uh, what we've seen is different angles on the yep. same subject. Uh, we've seen the opposite side of, of Anakin's uh, fall from the point of view of Ahsoka and, and right. Rex. It would be neat to see another viewpoint of him handing Luke off to Baru and, and you know, like, yeah, yeah. Or, that timeline just some other perspective on what he's doing uh so i think we want that too 
whether it serves the story to just have Obi-Wan pop up and be have Ahsoka's droid and be sure. buddies with the Martell sisters, that's almost a stretch. You talk about throwaway, and I actually thought, up until this episode, I actually thought that the Martez sisters were throwaway characters. I never expected that we were going to see them again. And so now, as as this show once again proves that every... It seems like every successive animated property, and we we say this, we've said it many times, and I'm going to say it again, recontextualizes things that we've already seen. And so now, having their inclusion in the Bad Batch recontextualizes their appearance back in the Clone Wars. Absolutely. So maybe, Um, you know, a throwaway appearance from Obi-Wan in the Bad Batch could be recontextualized within his own standalone series. And, and, and yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I agree. So purely on I don't a f- know why I wouldn't want it to be Obi Wan. Yeah. But like I said in the in the in the uh in the chat group, my gut says Obi Wan. Yeah. My brain says Rex. Uh everyone else is sort of like just entertaining a, a fantasy. <laughs> I just want to close off the Obi Wan thing for a minute. And this is just me like completely uh having a fan a fanboy moment. Would it not be an absolute treat if for this series, if it is Obi-Wan Kenobi, that Ewan McGregor is the voice. Hey, that, that might be nice. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know what? I, I really like the, the voice actor who does Obi. Uh, I think it's the same guy who does all the droids. It's true. It's true. But I think maybe that they would, they would keep church and state separate in terms of that. Um, I really, again, it depends on what they're going to do with the property of Obi-Wan Kenobi in an animated form. Yeah. Yeah. I have a theory. I was talking about this the other day after having shown a friend that has kids the Galaxy of Adventure shorts that are on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Wars.com too. I said, you know, with Disney's propensity to remake their animated classics in live action or CG. Right. It, it is not It is not a crazy stretch to think that they might make their live action classics into animated films. And certainly the biggest property they own is Star Wars. That's right. And all three of us would sit through a retelling of A New Hope but animated. Uh, yeah, of course I would. In a theater, and it would make a billion dollars. And I, I think within five years, you'll actually see the original trilogy in animated. Quite possibly. In theaters. The propensity for Hollywood to recycle a plot line or to uh, reboot a, a, a film or even a film franchise. The gaps between reboots seem to be getting shorter and shorter. We see it with superhero films quite often. How many Batmans do we have now? Lots. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, that that's the proof is in the pudding that this stuff does happen. And there is a very good chance that we'll get something just like that. There's there's something to be said for the James Bond franchise. Like, we all oh kind of love Lord, it. I mean, yeah. I love it. I don't know. I do. I'm a huge and, Bond fan. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, actually. And I'm a huge fan of the novels and stuff. And, and the idea that Bond is the identity of yep. the spy. Yeah. Kind of like the born identity. Yeah. Is 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 compelling to me that like there could be a female bond or a black bond or a Chinese bond or sure. an American bond. Yeah. But that, that James Bond, we've already always accepted that there's a Roger Moore version, that there's a Sean Connery version, that there's a, you know, um, Timothy Dalton, new guy, Timothy yeah. Dalton, even. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Craig, George Daniel, Lazenby. Daniel Craig, uh, Lazenby. Lazenby <laughs> was great by the way, completely yeah, underrated. Yeah. Um, and so, We've already accepted that, and that's right. We accept three different Batmans, and so I don't think that it's a problem to no, keep these no. legacy characters going for ad nauseum with different actors. And mm-hmm. I actually think Alden Eckenreich did a hell of a job doing Han Solo. Alden Eckenreich, yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and so 
I, you know, I, I let them let, let, let's make movies. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. We're going to pick this next one here. There's another name that you just dropped and, and I, this is an easy one. The next three, uh, three or so, and arguably even Obi-Wan are all connected to, uh, to this guy. So why could it be Bail Organa? And, and there's a strong argument, all visual stuff aside. And I joked about this yesterday about robes. Robes don't automatically mean Jedi in Star Wars. And I think we're all intelligent enough to, to understand that, that back when could be a sash. <laughs> this is what I, and I said this yesterday. I'm like, remember back in 1977 when it was just called Star Wars? You know, up until the the expanded universe and the prequel trilogy recontextualized brown robes, those were just Tatooine robes. That's what people That's wore right. to, to to stay out of the sun. That's right. You got to they maybe they were like it's like fashion, right? So right when when there's a when there's the good old fashioned war on in the Middle East, people are wearing camouflage clothes at home. It's just That's right. Designers are putting that into the zeitgeist, you know. So maybe it's something like that. Maybe. It's like an homage to a, a better time. Yeah. Uh, because it, certainly the Empire is mad oppressive. When uh, when Bale hopped in his uh, his speeder car to go off to the uh, the Senate or the Jedi Temple when Anakin right. was wreaking havoc, I mean, was he not wearing like a, a poncho style kind of throw over his uh, his clothing? Yeah. Could be something like that. And I mean, the, the color palette is similar. I know that... Uh, you know, like again, going with the Fennec Shan thing, they they gave her the identical clothing that she was wearing twenty eight years later. Yeah, that's for us, the viewer. And I do, I firmly believe that this hologram, that's for us, the viewer, and that yeah. we're doing exactly what what Disney and Lucasfilm wants the fans wants. to do. They want us, <laughs> they want us to pour over this and agonize and and grind yeah. our brains into the ground as to who this is. It makes you wonder if we're missing something else that's yeah. so surface because of the deep dive. Um, Specifically where Bail Organa is concerned, I'm going to touch on, it happens in the novelization of Revenge of the Sith, and it shows up as a deleted scene uh, for yes. the movie. There's a whole deleted scene with Bail, along with Mon Mothma, and a few other senators at Padme's apartment, and they are openly discussing the early rebellion. Right. Seeds of rebellion. Exactly. And uh, for that reason alone, Bail Organa could definitely be the person in the hologram. But I mean, another person was in the room in that cut scene, and it was Mon Mothma. That's true, too. So, I mean, for the very same reasons that it could be Bail Organa, it could be Mon Mothma. But then again, have, that pronoun. That she's been, she's going to be in the Cassian Andor show, which is that's right. Up. So it could be the Obi-Wan thing in, in you know, as a, a guest appearance for an actor for that show. Yeah. When you first posed the question, I answered Bail Organa right away, and it was almost my joke answer. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, I went, well, he's he does garner some power. He's still a senator, right? That's right. The Senate is still a thing, right? Right up until the kaboom. He can still operate in the open. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, and Leia becomes the the senator, senator for uh, Alderaan. Yeah, yeah. Right. So he's still allowed to operate in the open. Uh, yep. It's that's a, it's another strong bet, and he is not so many degrees removed from having possession of Ahsoka's droid or being in close no. proximity. You know, uh, Ahsoka, do you have anybody who could do this job for me? Yes, I yep. need two people in the sector. Here you go. Um, so. He's only sort of one degree separated. He's almost in the same 
I'd say Obi-Wan is one closer. Yep. But yeah, he's a good bet too. I've got one more uh, Bail Organa connection, and this one, you know, might be a little bit of a stretch, but this guy wore a robe in, in uh, A New Hope. Let's look at uh, Jan Dodonna. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jan Dodonna, if you kind of look into his character and, and uh, where he comes from, he was a very well-respected uh, Republic naval officer. In the early days of the rebellion, Dodonna actually worked. Uh, he commanded the the Masasai cell, the 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 classic rebel cell. So I mean, right. kind of being in Bail Organa's pocket, you know, when you're talking about degrees of separation and and a nascent rebellion and who can be trusted, you know, these two already have a good working relationship from you know their experiences in the Clone Wars. You know, I put him up there as a maybe. He's in mm-hmm. that, you know, like he's not a lock, but he's a he's a maybe, you know, Chance. one step removed from the two senators uh, previously discussed. Yeah, I think my Hail Mary would be Maul. I think Maul yeah. might be able to twist the narrative enough for these two sisters to think that he's fighting for the rebellion because he tells the truth. And the way he tells the truth, he's not lying when he said he wants to take down the Empire. No, he's he's at the. He's got to rebuild his criminal empire from where it was before the Mandalorian fiasco yeah. to where it is soon at the end of Solo with respect to, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> he's another bet. I think he's even further Removed. down the line. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to run out of runway here with these characters, but I mean, I I I literally went through of all the the list of all the Jedi that are still alive sure, at sure. the time. And it's quite vast compared to what we were led to believe in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, uh, especially you, with respect to the comic books, because I, 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 yeah, I was going to say like 15 people you guys have guaranteed you, you would know. Yeah, you would know way right. better than I would sort of and, new uh, new canon. They're all dead. Vader <laughs> eventually kills them all and kills quite a few of them really oh, good. Funny. But um, they are out there and we're still only months after that. Yeah. And, you know, ostensibly Vader's still healing somewhere. That's true learning to walk again i'm gonna pull at some some like thinner and and by thin i mean some of these are really thin but just keeping in that vein of like hey we're just gonna throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks you can't not include this guy yep so saw Guerrera. i know we just saw him recently i mean in what the first maybe two first episodes two ago. episodes right so he's already made an appearance it's very unlikely that it's him i mean if he'd had any interest in the clones, I think he would have displayed more of that in the moment when he had them face to face and he didn't. So I'm not saying that it can't be him, but I just, I don't think it is. Let me throw out a wild one here. Yeah, sure. Okay. So what if we don't like Rafa and what if Rafa is actually lying in the end? Maybe she is. She says that she's trying to stop the empire. Okay. Maybe Rafa's lying about that. And, her line of uh, of everybody's got to choose size, perhaps, is misdirection. The double perhaps cross. Perhaps she's even lying to her sister. Maybe. But what character do we have in the Star Wars? Say, say in the moment, we don't have time to fix R7. Yep. Ahsoka and Rex have to get out of there. Yep. And R7 is left behind there. Yes. The last person we saw there picking up a lightsaber. Vader. Fixes droids. Yeah, Vader, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That could be Vader. You know, that you say it really that. could be Vader, you know, now that you say that it could be. And I mean, we talked about this before the, the whole, you know, holograms in Star Wars don't necessarily mean anything. We know that color palettes get muted and get distorted. 
size. Right. They can be any size. And there's enough, there's enough doubt that I would agree with you that you, you could put him on this list. Yeah. And that's just, a, that's a scary thought right now. While I was thinking about different things, man, that is a super scary thought. Super scary. All right. In the same vein as uh, Saw Gerrera, guys who have been, you know, who've, of course, Saw Gerrera and, and his uh, fight on Onderon, he's got a vested interest. And somebody else who has a vested interest who now if if the character is, is supposed to be the same age as the actor, what about Cassian Andor? He'd be somewhere 18 to 20 at this point in uh, the timeline. And he does say in Rogue One, he's been fighting for years. That's right. But he, and he, no, and he's like, and suddenly it's important to you. Like, I always thought that Cassian was the most compelling character in that entire film. And I wanted to know more about him. And I'm super excited for the, the Cassian Andor series. Mm. Could it be Cassian? Could he be part of a, a nascent rebel cell somewhere working, you know? And we know the rebellion was a bunch of independent cells that were kind of doing similar things up until they, they kind of cohesed. After the Battle of Yavin? Certainly along those lines, it could be any of the characters that we saw with leading roles in Rebels. Yeah. Like uh, Commander Sato or whatever his name. Jin Sato. Uh, yeah. So um, another good another good pick, I, I think uh, it's probably with your heart. <laughs> yeah. But we do love that character. But he's way out on the periphery. Absolutely. Again, if... For the same reasons that Mon Mothma could be in, it could be another dip into another series. And this yeah. one is sort of closer to that mark because you would want to market the main character of that series. I would think so, yeah. So this is the right time to have these characters pop up if we're going to use them. Absolutely. As a, a if we're going to springboard to them. Of the, right. What do, you, what do they call so, it? The uh, the soft soft pilot, I guess, is what they call it? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. You know, for two seconds, and I mean literally for two seconds, my brain fell on this guy, onto uh, Alexander... Callus for similar reasons, but then I I kind of I, I read into him a little bit more, and I realized that that's really like virtually impossible because he is like a like drink the Kool Aid Imperial Security Bureau officer right up until he flips in right. the course of yes. Rebels, so it that's really right. can't be him. And I've got one more to go through, and I think this was your pick, wasn't it, Hank? Mm. What about this guy? <laughs> yeah, we're all in agreement. That it's Mace Windu. Nobody wants Mace Windu back more than I. Like maybe Sam Jackson. <laughs> okay, so I've said like like right from uh, Attack of the Clones. You know the the joke is Mace Window. The guy died falling at a window. Come on, he, like he's a Jedi of that caliber did not that die falling out of a window. He tucked and it rolled. Doesn't kill a Jedi. Right. Force lightning doesn't kill a Jedi. We've never seen it actually kill a Jedi. No, we have not. Or certainly, losing a limb doesn't kill a Jedi. No, it does not. Especially um, a badass Jedi. That, that would be the best, like, punch right in the side of the head from out of left field. Oh, my gosh, and, yeah. And I think everybody, there would be, like, a collective wave from the fandom, like, whoa. Yeah, yeah I we think we that. could open the windows and we could hear the screams around the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially if they had Mace Wind. Or, uh, for Sam sure, Jackson for sure. Boys, yeah. Now that's everybody that I've got for the uh, who's who in the zoo of who that hologram might be and i know that that is going to be the pressing question going forward this week you can bet you know all of the media outlets are going to be you know covering this hard and it'll be interesting to see if uh, if they've come up with some of the same choices that we've come up with and and to see and hear the rationalization of of those so guys if you certainly know what they're doing they like, certainly I mean, do yeah <laughs> you know 
the thing about cliffhangers is <laughs> they're cliffhangers. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys are listening to the show and you're uh, or you're watching us on the YouTube channel uh, and you're following along, let us know what you guys think. Who do you think is in that hologram at the end of this episode of uh, the Bad Batch decommissioned? Lots of choices out there. Is it the obvious one or is it one of the lesser characters we talked about? And what are your thoughts on is this potentially an entirely new character we've never met before? Could be. You can have your say on our uh, YouTube channel over at uh, Sawcast Productions on YouTube. Or you can uh, join in with us on uh, our Facebook group. It's the Fandom Power Podcast Fan Group. You can reach us directly by email or you can reach us again at uh, Fandom Power on Facebook and on Twitter. Or Instagram. I'm home right now. We're everywhere. I'm, yeah, I'm seriously. Right <laughs> <laughs> you can I'll, call me. No, you're not going to get my number. <laughs> but yeah, so that's where we're at today. It's uh, the Bad Batch, or sorry, it's the Fan Batch. And uh, you guys you got anything you want to close on before we uh, sign off? Uh, just the opening Arabesh in the very right. opening scene. Yes, I'm sorry. We glossed right yeah, over that. No worries. As they're panning down, oddly enough, the first sign you see, the Arabesh is backwards. So all the characters are flipped. Right. And I don't know why. Maybe it was just an oversight. It could have been an error, yeah. It reads spice. Cool. So, and the one below that reads on your feet. Ha, ha, ha. Hmm. But maybe spice That's is cool. still illegal. Maybe you'd have to kind of be, you know, flip the sign. Maybe it's just, just a. Yeah. I think the only thing I, I, I have left to say really on the whole subject is this. You know, I'm in, I'm interested to see how far this relationship with Sid goes if it lasts the entire series. If she if she in fact pulls a double cross on them, which I suspect that they will outlive their usefulness to her, and she will, she'll want to cash in on that. No, it could come as soon as next episode. Well, this is what I mean, right? No data yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the, the idea the that pace, they're... the pace has to pick up. Like we we within the next two or three episodes, we're going to be we're going to be shown the end game. Yeah, because that's typically what 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 happens is we get the we get the big overarching end game and then we got to get to it. Right. And so they don't want to give it to you too early, but I think that the, I mean, it depends on how long their game is. Certainly. I think that the, the show is super popular, even amongst, you know, uh, it's getting good ratings. It's, it's, yeah. it's popular amongst even people that aren't star Wars fans. Well, like too. I said, it's uh, yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm converted. I am, uh, yeah. I'm pro bad batch. And so I think that if they have a long game, like a season two or three yeah. plan, they might have this, you know, they might have these cyclical art. They're going to head towards an ending point that'll help us, you know, get into the second for season, sure. if you will. But I think you're going to see elements of, of what the end game for this season is. I, th- I think yep. you will see, like we just saw the the shoulder of a major player. I think you'll see yeah. more major players. I think you'll see a major villain pop up. I think it'll be probably cooler than, than Rampart or Tarkin. I think, uh, Something more in the trenches, something more for them to physically fight. It might be Crosshair and a whole batch sure. of goons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. We haven't seen them since the second episode, by the way. We've been four episodes. No, you're film. right. Uh, uh, so something big is coming. That's so true. That's so true. And whether they save that for the big uh, climactic finale, who knows? Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's it for me. <laughs> I got I got nothing else. How about you, Andy? Anything? I'm good. All right, guys. Well, that was a good episode. Best episode ever for, <laughs> I don't know if I like this one as much as I liked last week, to be honest with you, but uh, this one, very good. Love the pacing. Uh, love, love the story, obviously. And uh, can't wait for next week when we get to come back and do it all over again. And we will right here on fandom power presents the fan batch. So you can tune in next week 
Same fan time, same fan channel, same batch time, same. I'm going to get this right one day. There you go. Same right. batch time, same we, batch channel. We got 10 more shots at it. <laughs> oh my God. What can you do in post? There we go. <laughs> All right. That's it for me, guys. I hope you had a good one and we'll catch you on the next one. Awesome. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that, so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing, to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. And when your show is ready... Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say?